0: It's Brian, your lunatic friend. I hope you would allow me to do something that I seldom ever do. Give a testimony of the healing power of God, as some people like to say. Except that it's not the instantaneous transformation kind of healing story that we're used to hearing. Four years ago, after my wife had had some significant dental work, she started having an excruciating pain. Not only did we go back to the dentist to see what the problem was, we went to seven more dentists, and a maxiofacial surgeon, her local doctor, even a pain management specialist. Nobody could find a problem. At least not with the dental work. In the following months, we could not find an answer. There is nothing more alarming than having a problem that nobody seems to know how to fix. There were tests like blood work and suspicions that were not confirmed by multiple MRIs. And now I recall a cynic who said, yes, the fear of the unknown is the cornerstone of faith. And I admit that I won't start praying for a miracle until I've lost the luxury of cynicism. Cassie had stopped eating because swallowing was painful. She was sipping water through a straw. I find Finally took her to an ER at Loma Linda University Hospital to at least get intravenous feeding because eventually if you don't eat you don't live and we sat in an emergency room in two plastic chairs for nine hours but we were there for 15 looking for an answer it's interesting that when you go to a specialist he's only looking for his favorite affliction and then we end up talking to a three-year med student who was doing intern work at the emergency room it was unbelievable that the new kid in medicine would diagnose her with trigeminal neuralgia It was the first time we ever heard of it. It's a nerve pain in your jaw that feels like an electrocution. People who had it would often refer to it as a suicide nerve. And that pain would cause Cassie to lose 30 pounds in a month. And because our insurance wouldn't cover anything, I paid out of my own pocket to see a neurologist in Orange County. And he would confirm that yes, she had TN. And prescribed 150 milligrams of carbamazepine to be taken every 8 hours. Funny how when you get older, you start to learn how to pronounce medications. We'd already been through a dozen attempts at Pain relief, Somebody had discovered by accident that carbamazepine that was being used to treat epileptic seizures would also kill nerve pain. The neurologist was being kind when he said you might have to take this for a year because after reading up about trigeminal neuralgia, they really didn't have any idea. Sometimes it goes away by itself, but a lot of times you'll take it for the rest of your life. The first year was manageable as long as my wife spent most of her time in a recliner. Between the pain medication and two blood pressure medications, she slept a lot. But even then, the pain was starting pushing through the medication so we doubled the dose and again it would stop working so she went to every 6 hours which meant that she stayed up till 1 o'clock in the morning to take the medication and wake herself up again at 7 to take it again I bought her something called a Medi Wedge so that she could sleep kind of sitting up in bed but half of her sleep was in the living room and we would literally pass each other in the hallway but even with the medication her diet consisted of scrambled eggs those little bottles of Ensure and something that looked kind of like wallpaper paste or maybe ceiling spackle and still she was losing muscle mass and the side effects were making her unstable to walk. She was in her 50s and walking like an 80 year old and about twice a month she would fall down somewhere and every bump in the house I would come out of my chair running in to see what was happening. I could not stop her from trying to do things. She was working really hard at trying to have a decent quality of life. She was straight in the house and cook some in the kitchen and there was no way you were going to keep her from her grandbabies. They would come over, spend time with her, doing little art projects or puzzles or games which was followed by immediate exhaustion. She would sleep about two hours in the afternoon. Early on and before the pandemic, she was still going to church and she would be prayed for time and time again. But eventually she would stop going to church because she got tired of people asking if she was healed yet. There was a lot of talk around us about healing and the quoting of scriptures about healing and we would continue to pray and nothing happened. And yes, she was accused of not having enough faith or maybe we had some sin in our life. It's interesting how circumstances can change your theology because you didn't get the answer to prayer you were expecting or not in the timing you were expecting. My wife would continue to pray earnestly and never carried a resentment towards God for not having an answer to her prayers. But don't think for a minute there was an exasperation and disappointment and confusion about what the scriptures said. But one thing that happened was her prayer time with God would become daily and more earnest. But what spoke volumes to me was sitting at the dinner table, me eating something she had cooked for me and her with her wallpaper paste. Her prayers were amazingly respectful and reverent, even speaking tight-lipped because the nurse would be aggravated if she opened her mouth. And I tried to be like her, but I was starting to not believe in praying for people. I would always think, God's gonna do what he wants. I never realized that her affliction would have impact on me. I was feeling powerless and isolated. I would continue going to church, mostly as an act of contrition, and I would sing other people's songs on the worship team, and mostly songs that were meaningless to me. I was up every morning at six, alone on my back porch, reading two or three devotionals, making every attempt to eradicate the resentment that was building in my... The COVID pandemic had already dispatched most of my concerts. I was almost unemployed. But even when they came back, a little, I was afraid to be gone for more than two days. I would arrange for a couple of my neighbors and my daughter to keep looking in on her. She was okay to drive to the grocery store and back, but nothing after that. But the last six months before the surgery, my wife was on 600 milligrams of oxycarbamazepine and two blood pressure medications, and the pain was still coming through. And the side effects were atrocious. One time, falling backwards on the back patio, I thought she was having a stroke. She had temporary paralysis, slurred speech, confusion, and I helped her to a chair, preparing to call 911, but she told me to wait. Give me a minute, she says. I gave her 90 minutes, with my finger on the speed dial for 911. She seemed to know that it was the side effects of the medication. Turns out she wasn't always telling me when she had those kind of episodes. The next month, while I was home, she fell in the kitchen, busted her lip, and bled all over the kitchen floor, and then cleaned it up so she wouldn't have to tell me. A couple of weeks later, her daughters would both see her in that condition and Front of their house when she couldn't get out of the car. And through all of this, Cassie was filling out insurance paperwork ad nauseum on the phone with medical people, as was I once I got permission to speak for her. The bureaucracy was mind numbing. There were no surgeons in our insurance coverage that would do TN surgery, so we had to apply to go outside of our insurance coverage, and that would take six months. They'd already turned down three different hospitals. So when we finally got an appointment at Keck Medical Center at USC in Los Angeles, we had no real hopes. We figured there would be a litany of more tests and multiple trips to LA, followed by misdiagnosis and suspicions of anything but trigeminal neuralgia. So we were dumbfounded after 20 minutes in the office with a Dr. Darren Lee, a neurosurgeon at USC, said matter-of-factly, yeah, you need this surgery. Let's set it up. We'll call you in five to seven days. It's a pretty common procedure for TN these days, he said, referring to microvascular decompression. I do it all the time, he says. Driving home, we were so stupefied that we didn't even ask him any questions. And I didn't call the insurance company to find out if they were going to approve it. We had reached the point of no return and if I had to sell everything or make payments for the rest of my life, we were going to get this done. They called us a week later, scheduled the surgery in about four weeks and about a week before the surgery, we got a letter in the mail from the insurance company that neither one of us wanted to open. It felt like judgment day. At the time, it felt like the biggest miracle ever to get an insurance company to approve and they just did. Man, I got to tell you, it felt like Christmas and just like that, after four years and six neurologists and three three years trying to get insurance to cover something. Everything came together and things started to happen so fast that we literally blinked and she had the surgery done and was home recovering without a single side effect that they had warned us about. You might have some permanent tingling or numbness in your face, they told us. But so far that hasn't happened. Let me tell you, the surgery is no small thing. They drilled a hole in her skull about the size of a quarter behind her ear to wrap the trigeminal nerve in a coating that keeps it from triggering unnecessary And after five hours of prep and surgery, I would see her again in ICU. They had shaved the back of her head, and she was sporting a five-inch nasty-looking scar, complete with that little railroad track of stitches that they said would fade. And when she first started coming out of the anesthesia, she burst into tears, saying, I'm so happy. I'm going to get my life back. And don't think that I didn't burst into tears with her. She was only in the ICU one day. It's interesting that I wrote a song inspired by her words, ICU. It was a different kind of meaning, but it certainly comes to mind now. Now, in a prayer to God, I see you watching over me every day another way, that I can see your love. It wasn't an instantaneous healing, and there's still a long recovery, but I can't help imagining the joy that Jesus had through all that pain and being able to say, it is finished. There's a story in the Bible that our pastor shared with us. It's in the book of Luke, chapter 17. It says, as Jesus was traveling, ten men who had leprosy met him. And it says, they called out loudly from a distance, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And Jesus heard them. And it's interesting that he didn't go have a service with them. He simply said, without even coming closer, go show yourselves to the priests. And then there's a portion of verse that I never noticed before. It says, and as they went, they were cleansed. They had a path to follow in their healing. Still, in the Bible, God didn't heal everybody. But in this story, you later find out that nine of the ten lepers that were healed pretty quickly moved on and pretty much forgot about it. And I have to believe that miracles are not God's primary purpose for us. It is not something to simply share with others how wonderful it is to know him. No, his primary purpose is that we know him. And nothing will strengthen our relationship with him faster than adversity. And there's an understanding and a knowing of my wife, too, that doesn't happen when you're going to Disneyland. No, there's an indescribable bond that comes from fighting adversity together. And I see it every time I look at her in ongoing struggles with a wry smile. A simple reminder by saying, two plastic chairs. And it's all because we know each other through hardship. Several days later, someone asked me how it felt to be getting our lives back. And I simply said, it's like being born again, again. Let me say, I have to say thanks to you for making ours a wonderful life. Much in the same way that Jimmy Stewart did in that movie, the support of friends and family has no equal from any other kind of investment. When I brought Cassie home, we came home to cards and flowers and DoorDash gift certificates to cover food, because a lot of you know that I can only make a grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, and those two renegade daughters that we raised turned into saints overnight. I think they've come to realize that rock star types like me don't have a lot of nursing skills. So I'm also really thankful for God's friends in the medical field. There was at least 12 people on the team for Cassie's surgery. Nurses, anesthesiologists, two neurosurgeons, Dr. Lee, and assisting was a woman, Dr. Kang, who also does a spectacular job of creative braiding of my wife's hair for surgery. But the most beautiful thing about my wife now is that transformed smile on her face to have a new lease on life. Again, thank you for being a member of my secret service. That's what I call people who pray for me and support my efforts in encouraging others.